You're listening to the Pines Church Podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody good in the house? Everybody good? Raise your hand if you're good. Okay, cool, man. I just want to make sure. I know that it has been a long week. I've talked to a lot of people. Um, Before I go any further, though, I want to just give a couple of housekeeping items. Number one, um, our second year birthday is coming up on March 5th. We're going to be two years old. Not terrible twos, but terrific twos. And I believe that God's going to do... So yeah, terrific twos, man. I'm saying in faith, dude. Um, And it's going to be an amazing celebration. So I encourage you to invite your coworkers. Maybe there's some people that have been on the fence about coming to church. This is going to be a great service because it's going to be a celebratory service where we look back over all that God has done in and through us. And uh, Jess and I, maybe, will be casting some vision. I'm just giving her a hard time putting her on the spot for the upcoming year because God has placed so much in our heart. And I was just thinking while we were in worship, it is extraordinary to me that two years ago, no one in this room knew each other. Now, some of you might have known each other from work or, you, you know, your neighbors. But I mean, we had not collected as a church. We didn't know anybody in this room. We came out of obedience and, the, and the, just the idea that God has brought all this together in such a short amount of time is an ex- truly extraordinary thing to behold. And I just want you to know it's a privilege. It's such an honor to pastor this congregation, to shepherd your hearts. And I am so proud of each and every single one of you. And some of you I haven't had the opportunity to meet. And I'm so looking forward um, to that. Also, yesterday I got a phone call from someone about an event that's taking place in our city um, on Saturday. And so I'm going to go ahead and pop up a slide. This is the Speak Up for Life event. It's actually going to be happening at Cross Point uh, Church in Bangor. And so, um, you know, whenever we have the opportunity to be a voice for the voiceless, we want to step into that position. And so they're going to be giving some instruction on how we can help help uh, come alongside this initiative. And uh, I believe we have a URL code. If you just hold up your phone and open your camera, it'll lock in on that. And then it'll take you to the website with all of the information, sign up. But uh, again, I know this is kind of last minute, but it was just put on my plate yesterday. Just leave that up for a second, fellas, because I know some people are busting out those phones. And if you just lock your camera in there, click on the link. It'll take you. And then, of course, if you have any questions, if it was too fast, you can meet uh, any one of our team members in the foyer, and we'll be able to get you uh, set up with that. Last piece of information, and then we're going to get into the word. I promise. Um, Last piece of information. We're going to be shooting a video immediately after service, so we're going to ask all of you that instead of running to governors, that you can just kick back for an extra couple of minutes and hang out in the foyer and um, maybe get another cup of coffee, maybe get some merch or buy a book or talk to one another, catch up. But Tyler's going to be running around like a madman with a camera and he's going to be asking you two questions and he's going to be or asking you a question. What are two things that you love about the Pines Church? We're putting together a celebratory video and so you can give a sentence Um, I really love the coffee, or you can just say the preaching, or the pastor, or the pastor, stop, stop, and, uh, or you can say children's ministry, the people, whatever it is, Um, just give your answer, it'll only take like a few seconds, and he's going to be running to everybody to make sure that we 
capture all of that, and then he'll put it together with his magic, and uh, it'll be, it's not true magic, it's not like Harry Potter magic, it's just like editing magic, um, and he'll put it all together, and uh, it's going to be extraordinary. So if you could chill in there just for a little bit, um, shouldn't take too much time. Who's ready to study the Word of God? Anybody ready to study the Word of God? Okay, man, I got a, I got a real one. Yeah, bring it. I'm, I'm going to bring it. I got a real one for you today. Because this is something that I deeply, deeply struggle with. So let me just get this out of the gate. I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And you're going to find out real quick. I know. I'm sorry to let some of you down. Okay. Um, But uh, I'm going to be transparent here and just shine a little bit of a light on some of the things that um, I wrestle with um, in my life. By the way, who's been seeing, who's been, who's caught on like the news or on social media, what's happening in Asbury? It's absolutely extraordinary. It's a, for those of you that don't know, it's a college campus that's just experiencing uh, the manifest presence of God and they've been going on for, I believe, like 10 days of just student, 11? Okay, 11, somebody just, that's awesome, dude. So people are watching, um, where people are just experiencing the presence of God. It's run by um, students. And, you know, as I was kind of, and of course, everybody comes in to offer their opinions and their their counsel. But um, my wife made this extraordinary comment to me. She says, and and she's so wise. And she just said, it sounds like a group of people that have gotten together to seek the face of Jesus instead of the hand of Jesus. And it's just extraordinary to behold, but I just want you to know that it's not relegated to a certain geographical region. What God did for one, he'll do for another. It all comes down to an appetite and a hunger, not filling up on the things of this world, okay, but just emptying ourselves so that we can press into the presence of God where we find fullness of joy. And I believe personally that this world is on the precipice of the great and is already stepping into the greatest move of God that we've ever experienced. Everything is primed and you can say, well Matt, when I turn on my television, it looks like we're moving in the opposite direction. But the church always grows when things look like they're the darkest, when the persecution is coming, the church grows. So I'm telling you, the church is primed right now to grow. And what a privilege we have to link arms with other churches and believers that are in this area to make it hard to go to hell from central Maine. That's what we're all about. And I'm excited about that. So here we go. I'm going to, I found myself um, Thursday and we actually had a small group on Thursday. So we had a bunch of couples come over and we're going through the book of Romans. And I shared with them, though many of them probably thought that I was joking that I, I had a really hard day. But uh, I think I was actually on the verge of almost having what many would consider like a, a breakdown. <laughs> Uh, my heart was racing, and it was all birthed out of good things that were happening. But what I was doing is taking it all upon myself. If you believe in the Enneagram or any of those disc tests or personality tests, I'm a three, so I'm a doer. I always want to like kind of continue to press forward, and that served me pretty well in life. But it can also be a gr- a, a grave danger. And as I saw that, you know, there's a lot of new believers coming in. We need a new believers class. And, you know, we should write that curriculum and we need discipleship. And, you know, I've been meeting and looking for different buildings for us to be able to meet to, uh, you know, as, as we continue to grow. I was just shouldering all of this stuff. And there was this 
angst that was building behind the scenes. And uh, I, my sleep wasn't as good. I was wolfing down my food. And it was like I was having conversations with people, people that I truly cared about, but I wasn't really there. Have you ever talked to somebody and you're not really there? I'm not talking about staring at your phone. I'm just talking about your mind is like going a million different places. And, and what I realized um, under the guise of problem solving, like my mind is going to solve all the problems of central Maine, what I was actually doing um, was giving in to anxiety. And Psalm 127.2 puts it like this, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I found myself eating the bread of anxious toil. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. And then you look at your efforts and you're like, well, I'm getting up early and I'm going to bed late. I'm using every single minute to hustle, to send emails, to strategize, to plan, to reach out. But I feel like I'm burning the candle at both ends. I'm eating the bread of anxious toil. And as I was meditating on this scripture, I was reminded of the words, of Jesus, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Interestingly enough, it doesn't say every word that came from the mouth of God. It said comes. That means God is still speaking to his children. And I think Jesus is showing us that yes, our bodies need a natural sustenance, but we need to be feeding on the word of God in order to be able to mature into who God has destined us to be. And as there is the bread of God's word, there's always a counterfeit that Satan is trying to produce, a knockoff. When I was a kid, you know, my parents would like, you know, kind of pinching pennies. And so we didn't have, um, we didn't have Mountain Dew. We had like Mountain Lightning. <laughs> we didn't have Dr. Pepper. We had like Dr. Skipper. Anybody know that? Some Dr. Skipper. Yeah, anybody remember that stuff? So it's like, and I was always as a kid, I was like, oh, why can't you just give me Mountain Dew? I don't want to drink Mountain Lightning. It's the same thing anyway. Like I knew the difference of the ingredients, but I wanted the label. I wanted the, the Mountain Dew and there's a knockoff. And so the enemy has given us a knockoff of this bread and it's the bread of anxious toil. And it also goes on to say in this scripture, I don't know if we have, if we can throw Psalm 127.2 back up or if it is already up. Psalm 127.2, it says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And this is something that was evading me. I was waking up in the middle of the night or it was hard for me to go to bed and my mind, my wheels were just spinning. I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but it's a terrible place to be when you roll over and you look at the alarm clock and you know that you only have another hour, but you can't go to sleep. And the minutes start counting, you start doing that morning math in your head. And it's just like you start your day off by eating that bread of anxious toil. You're already sweating, you already feel behind. And it's a terrible way to start your day. So I want some of this beloved sleep. How many of you say like, give me some of that beloved sleep, man. I want some of that beloved sleep. Like that sounds like better than a sleep number. And... Um, 
And for this idea of sleep, I used to, because I'm prone to be like a three and like an achiever and a performer, um, I actually kind of gravitated on social media towards some of these influencers and some of these authors. As soon as I start to talk about them, you'll, you'll, you'll know who I'm talking about. They're like, well, you only need four hours of sleep in a day, you know, like you need to grind, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. If you've ever heard that, that's really the, wor- the, the, it's the, it's the narrative that the world is peddling to us, that we need to give more of our time towards our dreams and towards achievement. But it's actually the bread of anxious toil that the world is trying to feed us because it makes us dependent on them and it takes us away from what God has. And so it's an interesting thing, sleep, and how the world is telling us that we don't actually need it when in reality God created us to need sleep. Have you ever asked, like, why? Like, why did God create us to need sleep, right? It's kind of an interesting thing. The average human being, if they live to be 76 years old, will sleep 26 of those years away. Did you hear what I just said? You're going to sleep for 26 solid years. Lazy? (laughs) That's 9,490 days. That's 227,000 hours. Have you ever wondered why God made us need sleep? Sleep away a third of our lives. This is an interesting question. Like, would you say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll trade in living till 76 and just let me live until I'm in my 50s with no sleep. Like, would you take that? But God was intentional with giving us sleep. And I just kind of want to read this to make sure that I don't um, miss it. Think about it. We're never more weak, never more childlike than when we are asleep. We're completely helpless. It's actually kind of terrifying. And, as, and God has said, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And unless you turn and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You see, sleep is an opportunity for us every single day to be able to trust God with our careers, relationships, finances, health, Every day, we have been given this invitation to lay our heads on the pillow, and we can't do anything about all the stuff that is in our lives, and we simply have to stop moving, stop fretting, stop analyzing, stop problem-solving, and trust it with Him. Because left to our own devices, if we took that 50-year deal we would be trying on the hamster wheel to figure all of these things out. And we simply cannot do that. You see, it's a trust thing. And Jesus says, which of you by being anxious can even add a single hour to the span of your life? Your worries don't add anything to your life. In fact, worry is a perversion of faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. So you're believing and trusting that God is going to work on your marriage. You're believing and trusting that God is going to move in your finances. Your faith is attached to these things, that he's going to make them not as they are, but as they could be as you move forward and are obedient to his word. Well, worry is a move step in the opposite direction. It's a substance of things dreaded. See, evidence of things not seen. So you're literally bringing in worst case scenarios into your life. You see, the grind, the hustle, it's never going to satisfy your deepest needs or solve your deepest problems. And have you ever noticed that 
the commandment and the Ten Commandments, the commandment to keep the, the you know, the, to keep the, set, the, day, the, keep the Sabbath day is the only one of the Ten Commandments that Christians brag about breaking. Have you ever noticed that? Like we live in a culture that we celebrate and almost boast in the fact that our schedules are maxed out. It's almost like a badge of honor. And we would never brag about committing adultery or stealing or any of the other nine commandments that the Lord asks us to keep. But when it comes to keeping one day holy, the Sabbath day, we brag, well, I have to run to, you know, this baseball tournament. I have to make sure that I do a little work here. I have to run and take care of the barn over here. And we brag about it. And it's interesting because before God even gave man the Ten Commandments. So as Moses is coming down, he reminds us in Exodus 22, he says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. So he drops this on them before he gives them the Ten Commandments. He's reminding them, that, look, I took you out of Egypt and I took you out of the house of slavery. You see, God, it's true. God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, but it was up to them to get Egypt out of themselves. What the heck are you talking about, Matt? Yes, geographically, Israel was no longer in Egypt, but their way of doing things and their way of approaching society's problems was still ingrained in them, even though they weren't in the prison cell of Egypt any longer. Do you see what I'm saying? Hold on, you'll, it'll make sense. You see, Egypt was similar, similar to our culture. It was bricks, more bricks, all day, every day. It was work, 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 right? This is Rihanna, Super Bowl, right? Okay, it was, it was an infatuation with the bottom line. Um, no restraints on how to get there. It was about production, not flourishing, strict commerce, not neighborly love. It was about the commodity of idols or celebrities, not the imaging of God. In other words, it was a world completely in opposition to God's way of doing things. Sounds pretty familiar. You see, the Old Testament scholar Walter Brugman wrote this about Egypt. And I'm going to pop this up here. This is fascinating, so lean into this. A society of 24-7 multitasking in order to achieve, accomplish, perform, and possess... He explains that the rat race of such predation and usurpation is a restlessness that twists and turns throughout all of life, leaving an aftermath of inescapable anxiety that is often unmanageable, which is to say unbearable. It is a weight that leads people to do unthinkable things like jump off bridges and sacrifice their children, whether literal or or metaphorical. He wasn't writing about America. He was writing about Egypt. But as you read those words, it's as if somebody was analyzing and writing about America itself. 
You see, human beings weren't meant to live from rest. Human beings were meant to live from rest, not for rest. In an Egypt system, and even in the world, and in America's system, we work for rest. So like, I'm going to put my head down, I'm going to grind, I'm going to hustle, and then I'll be able to come up for air and take a couple of weeks off instead of working from that place of rest. And you see, there's no clearer depiction of this than the actual creation story. You remember God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the sixth day, God created man, right? And then on the seventh day, what did God do? He rested. So, God, so man's very first full day on the earth, he did absolutely nothing. He rested with God. And then from that place of rest, he stepped into all that God had for him. Instead of working and then getting to the rest day, he worked from the rest that God had given him. See, Abraham Herschel um, from his book, The Sabbath, wrote this. The Sabbath is the day on which we learn the art of surpassing civilization. What a fascinating statement that there's something that God has invited us to that's contrary to the world system that would say you need to work seven days to get ahead of everybody around you. And God's system says, no, you need to rest on this day. And as a result, you will, I will actually prosper you above your enemies. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> it's funny, but it's true, right? Chick-fil-A outperforms every fast food restaurant in every key indicator of success, and they are closed a day. And do you know that in malls and in airports, they still have to pay the rent for that day, yet they bring in more income. They have better customer service. And they're nice. Yeah, and absolutely. And there's something to be said about that. How can fast food employees that, you know, are at Wendy's and at, at, at Chick-fil-A that are getting paid the same amount, one treats you nice and is in a great, has a great attitude and the other one is irritated that you're coming up and you're ordering something. And they're just simply doing what the Bible asks us all to do. See, Jesus doubles down on this idea. In Matthew, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you more to do. Is that what it says? No. It says, I will give you rest. You know, when I read that, when I was going through that, when my heart was racing, and it was racing, guys. Like, I'm not making light of this. There's one, only one other time that I got to a place where my heart was beating so fast, and I was, I was kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was in this moment. I had to read this scripture and say, why am I not experiencing this kind of rest in my life? And why, as I look out across the church in our culture, is no one really work walking in this kind of rest? Maybe I have this all backwards. It goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What is yoke? right? Is it like eggs? Is it like, you know, I work out, I'm yoked? What is a yoke? It's a, it, it represents a partnership. It represents work through partnership. 
See, the Bible does say that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But for me, and maybe some of you in this room, and I think many of us across the church and across our culture, um, we believe um, in that hustle grind. We've bought into that ideology that means we have to be all in. And we have to sacrifice all of these things that are around us. But Jesus literally invites us to learn from him in this. And learning from Jesus isn't about, isn't a service. It isn't a workshop or a conference or a one-time event or an, out, an awakening in Asbury, you know, Kentucky. Learning from Jesus is a process that requires time. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And I think a lot of us, we formulate this image of God, the Father, through our own broken relationships with our fathers. Maybe, maybe your father wasn't present, and so you feel the need to try to figure everything out on your own because you know that nobody's going to come. Maybe your father was overbearing and you feel like if you just make one mistake, if you drop that, hand him the wrong wrench, right? It's going to come down on you, all right? And there's, many of us have had broken relationships with our fathers and what we do is we assign and we attribute those broken relationships onto our heavenly father. But here is Jesus stopping us dead in our tracks saying, if you feel heavy, if you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, come to me. And I, and, and I will teach you how to move forward. I will teach you how to work. I will partner with you because I'm gentle and I'm humble. And I can be honest with you, I've always had a hard time of relating to God as a father. I always, always saw him as a king. He was giving me orders and I was going to execute those things. But as a father, it was something that I struggled with. And so I hold myself to a level and a standard that was given to me, you know, from my father. And this isn't about me bashing my father. I'm just sharing a reality of, I have to figure this out. I have to make this work or I'm going to uh, you know, or the heat's going to come down on me. And I just think it's beautiful that here's Jesus, part of the Godhead, who created all things, who measured every ounce of water and drop of water in the palm of his hand, who set the stars, the sun, the moon, and the sky, in the sky with his finger. And he's describing himself as gentle and humble. And he invites us into this restful partnership with him. You see, this floored me because, again, I looked at leadership like a drill sergeant. And here's Jesus, this tender, patient man coming to us saying, we're going to figure this out together. And he's inviting all of us to learn. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many people do you know that would say that the yoke that they're carrying is easy and that their burdens are light? I don't care if you're a barista, a college student, if you're 17 years into your career, every single one of us have been brought up in this culture 
of grind and hustle. And many of us, even inside of the church, feel like we are at the very end of our rope. That if someone were to put one more task, it would be the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. But here's Jesus in the midst of it saying that that's not what I'm putting on you. And in fact, I want to remove that burden in exchange for this yoke, which is partnering with me which is working, yes, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, but in a, in, a, in a heart posture of rest, working while we're resting. Resting isn't jumping on your sofa, right, and putting on Netflix and binge watching it. How many of you have tried that and you walk into the work week feeling less rested than you entered? Or you've gone on a vacation that was supposed to be an opportunity for you to get recharged, but you come back to work and you're stressed the heck out. So we have to take an honest evaluation of our lives and say, if we're not experiencing that kind of rest, then we must be missing something. See, Jesus is essentially asking each of us, is your life filled with joy and peace, occasionally interrupted with stress, or is your life filled with stress occasionally interrupted with peace and joy. And I think that if we were honest with ourselves, many of us would claim the latter, that our lives are stressful. And as we look to the left and to the right, we just see this as a societal norm. And this is something which is why we've propagated this idea that at the end of this work life, this slave mentality, this Egypt way of approaching our lives, then we're promised the last 15 to 20 years of our life to drive around in a Winnebago and enjoy it. That is the American dream, right? The American dream is hustle, put your head down while you're experiencing some of the most beautiful things in life, like getting married and having children and going through those moments. And the world sells you on this load of just absolute garbage that no, you need to grind during these years. And then when you hit your golden years and you get silver hair, then you can actually truly live your life. It tries to get you to buy into this idea of more bricks, of more straw, of build, 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 build. And it's nothing new under the sun. It's the same thing that Egypt used to enslave Israel. And yes, we have abolished modern day slavery, but there is still this element in this residual mindset through our workforce of the same thing. Now, I'm not telling you all to go quit your jobs, okay? Because we are called to be salt and light in the world, not some subculture that does a bunch of weird things on top of a mountain and buys a bunch of guns and gasoline and wait for the, you know, the son of man to return. We're called to be salt and light, but we can work from a place of rest and joy if we partner with God. And that is the invitation to all of us. I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. And I'm just going to kind of end with these. As I was meditating on this, as I was coming to this place, I realized like the Lord, that I can be stubborn. 
And the Lord was letting me get to the end of myself, kind of what Jake was talking about, to realize you can't do this, son, on your own. You can't do this in your own strength. And you know what? Backed into a corner, I could have passed any test that you, you gave me on do you need God in order to be able to achieve this? Absolutely. Any Christian can answer that question correctly. But are you living like that? There's a difference between knowing and living, right? And there's a lot of times, especially as Christians, we know things, but we're not living those things in reality. And I was spinning my wheels. I was trying to build this church through my own cleverness and intellect and experience and giftings. And I was coming to a place where I couldn't, I couldn't manage all of these plates. I couldn't juggle all of these different assignments. And the Lord was letting plates drop. And I finally got to the point, it was like, <laughs> you know, I'm like hyperventilating. And I had this moment, God, I need you. And I was reminded of Paul's words, his warning really to the Galatian church, where he says, how foolish how foolish can you be that starting your life in the spirit you're now trying to perfect through your own efforts and I thought of that song from Don Henley you know I'm an 80's fan and it says that all those things that I thought I knew I'm learning again been trying to get down to the heart of the matter. And I'm like, I knew this, but it's like I'm learning it again for the very first time. And I don't want any of you to burn out. I want you to laugh with your spouse. I want you to get down on your children's level and build Lego fortresses that reach the sky. I want you to cheer for your favorite sports team with reckless abandonment, not thinking about the bills that are due later, but being able to trust those to God. I want you to have the deepest, most meaningful sleep when your head hits that pillow. I want you to be set free from the bondage of slavery not in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense that you are tethered to this ideology of grinding and hustling. And there's no way that you will get to the end of your life achieving the dreams and the vision and the purpose that God has placed unless you do something about it. The Bible says in Isaiah 56 too, it says, blessed are all those who are careful to do this. Well, you've got my attention. I want to be blessed. So he's telling us, he's giving us this instruction. Hey, anyone that does this is going to be blessed. So this is the time to take out your notepad. I want to write this next piece of information down because I want to be blessed. And he goes on to say, blessed are those who honor my Sabbath days of rest. Could it be that Chick-fil-A is not any wiser than Wendy's or McDonald's? 
Could it be that they don't have necessarily a better strategic plan? They don't necessarily have better employees, but they've simply honored the word of God above what the world is peddling to them and saying, I'm just going to trust what the Bible says. And I'm going to keep this day holy. I'm going to keep the Sabbath with reverence in my heart. And I'm going to trust that God's going to do things behind the scenes of my life that I couldn't do in my own strength. And that is the invitation for each and every single one of us. I'm going to ask you to stand. The good news that's offered today is that if you're a striver, if you're worried about the future, if you don't know how you're going to manage things in the next couple of months, that God already has a plan, but you must partner with him in spinning your wheels in anxiety and fear, which leads to depression, is not the way that God has set before you. Enter into his rest. Well, Matt, what does that look like? It looks like Jesus taking you by the hand, looking you in the eyes with the most humble and meek, kind and loving eyes back at you. That he's never going to leave you. He's never going to yell at you. He's gonna, never going to try to make you feel small, petty, or insignificant that he's with you every step of the way. And if you stumble and if you fall, he's going to be right there alongside you to make sure that you get to where you're going. And he's going to remove that burden from your shoulders. And you can go to work with this newness of rest, this newness of joy, this excitement that you don't have to have it all figured out. That life really is this grand adventure that as we follow him through obedience like a child, God is opening the doors and God is moving things that are going to stand in opposition to our way. All we have to do to bring to the table is to trust him. I'm going to pray for you this morning. And I want you to think about, this shouldn't be very hard, the things that have been taking up mental real estate, the things that have been filled and riddled with worry, stress, the promotion, the broken marriage, broken relationships, your health. And I want you to imagine giving those things to God. I've done enough with them. I've made a mess of them. I don't know how to move forward in them and to give them to God and to trust that he's going to take you by the hand and he's going to lead you in victory in every single one of those areas of your life. And I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to open up your heart to receive this, these words in faith. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for every single person under the sound of my voice. And I am asking almost for a reintroduction of Jesus in their lives. That, Lord, you would give them a visual of your face, of your kindness, of your love for them. 
that you would reassure their hearts that you will never leave nor forsake them, that you are with them every step of the way, that you will remove the burdens and the weight and the entanglements of this world. You will break off the shackles of addiction and bondage to substances, but also to the ideology of this world. And that out of a place of faith, a mustard seed of faith, that as a child, they would respond in obedience to heeding your voice, to letting go of those things, to not spinning their wheels thinking. I just declare over everyone in this room that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it is through your spirit, Father. Let us empty ourselves to be filled with you. Let us decrease so that you can increase. And I pray that everyone would walk away with a deeper revelation and knowledge of how much you love and care for them. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I love each and every single one of you. Just a quick reminder, if you could just mill around in the foyer just for a few extra minutes today and Tyler will ask you some quick questions and then we'll be able to get you on your way. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to the Pines Church Podcast, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.